By going through these in this episode, part of the goal is to show that any of these can have more toxic versions or more healthy versions, and that also understanding what some of the motivations might be for it, because it's really easy to say, well, I was in a relationship once with this person who said that they wanted this type of polyamory, parallel polyamory, for example, and I felt really shitty. So therefore, I think that way of doing polyamory is bad, right? And that's just, of course, sure. It's like, yeah, that was your experience with it. It wasn't good. It can be easy to look at that and look at anyone who does that. It's like, oh, you must be bad too. You must be doing those same things. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about the spectrum of entwinement within polyamory. Now, while that may sound like a fun young adult fantasy novel series, the spectrum of entwinement, actually, that's actually a really good title for that. Uh, you're welcome, listeners, for your YA series name. Anyway, what this is about is many of you have probably heard when people talk about polyamory, they might toss out terms like kitchen table polyamory, parallel polyamory, don't ask, don't tell, or garden party polyamory, or or these other labels like that. And so today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be discussing those, explaining, first of all, what those terms mean, but specifically we're going to look at them in terms of how much entwinement they entail, meaning entwinement between metamors as well as between partners. And then within each of those, we're going to look at both healthy and unhealthy versions of those, what that might look like, and then some deeper things you may be looking for if you find yourself drawn to one of these particular forms of non-monogamy. All I'm going to say is my favorite label for polyamory ever is the semi-porous polyfidelitous commune. <laughs> this I don't know, listeners, we've talked about it, but but yeah, we were at a conference, somebody ran up to us, dropped Trow, there, there were leggings <laughs> the underneath, story. but Trow was dropped, and they exclaimed that they were in this semi-porous polyfidelitous commune. I, you know, the, that That's was a- the first time that I had ever heard those words strung together, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> That's a very condensed version of what actually happened in that conversation. It makes it sound a lot funnier, this stranger r- running up to us, dropping their pants, and yelling that they're in a semi-porous polyphilous <laughs> down. <laughs> but it wasn't, like, a huge amount different than that. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, yeah, of course, as I was writing this episode and researching this episode, that definitely came to mind, that, mm-hmm. that phrase, the semi-porous polyphilous commune. But I-, I have to be honest, I initially didn't really want to talk about this. Even though this is my episode, I came up with this topic Mm -hmm. and did most of the writing for this. And I really dragged my feet about it. And I almost talked myself out of even doing it. But then I found that I couldn't stop thinking about it and Mm. just having a lot of thoughts and opinions about it. And so I'm like, oh, fine. I guess I'm... I guess I'm going to write this episode. But wow. but first, just for posterity, I'm going to lay out all the reasons why I didn't want to. So strap <laughs> okay. in. Great. First of all, it, it's difficult to find hard scientific research on this, right? And we love scientific research here at Multiamory. There's just not a ton of robust studies out there yet 
really looking at these nuances between people who identify with parallel polyamory or people who practice kitchen table polyamory. We're starting to get there. There are some more savvy researchers who are starting to look at these things, but we don't have a ton yet. So I can't necessarily present you with these hard facts about like this percentage of the of the non-monogamous community practices this and they find that these people have a 200% increase in relationship satisfaction like I can't <laughs> speak about that in right. very empirical terms and so that always makes me a little bit nervous I also felt hesitant because sometimes I have noticed the non-monogamous community can get a little bit of reactive if, let's say, you define a term using slightly different words than an individual may define them, or if you don't include a term or a particular identity or particular specific flavor of non-monogamy that someone is practicing. Have you all noticed that? Yeah, there can sometimes be like, I don't know, like, I know better than you because I define this label in this particular way. And while I think sometimes that discussion is useful, it can also sometimes lead some of us to just go, eh throw up our hands and be like, whatever, I give up then. I'm not even going to try. So I, yeah, I get that being a hesitation. Sometimes I do, like many of us who started off as, you know, a young non-monogamous person and were like, oh, this is the best thing ever. I am now like the most enlightened ever. I think that it can kind of tend towards that also with these labels. It's like, well, I do kitchen table polyamory, therefore I do the best form of it, period. Mm. So... Right. That yeah. sometimes is challenging yeah. because we're not really like placing a better or worse label on these labels. Right. And then I think also something we've talked about in the past, but is just that thing of for some people, you give them a label that roughly describes what they do. And they're like, oh, thank God, finally, like I, I belong. This makes sense. I have a thing to Google when I want to look up stuff about this. I have a shorthand and other people are like, don't you dare try to label me, put me in a box. Mm -hmm. You know, the totally. tiger wants to get out of the cage, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, which is something we've talked about before, that there can be this duality to labels in that way, that for some people it's very freeing and for other people very constricting. And I also sometimes want to avoid talking about these things because as soon as you attach a label to a concept, it can become very easy to, for people to fixate on it. Or to attach a value judgment to it, like Emily mentioned, this idea that like, okay, well, this this label's good and that label's bad, or this concept is good, this concept is bad. And that makes it even easier for people to weaponize it against community members or their partners or their metamors or things like that. We've also had some weird experiences with what people perceive our practice of monogamy slash non-monogamy to be has been you really interesting. You mean the three of us? Yes, the three of uh. us. You know, like, I mean, just uh, as an example, someone reached out to me, this was probably a couple of years ago, where it was like, you only ever talk about parallel polyamory on your show, and I really wish you would talk about kitchen table. And at that time, I was like, I think I'm practicing kitchen table. What, like, what? How do they? This is weird. I Maybe I can see how this person could perceive that we're... I, I don't know. So I was... There's just like a lot of confusion. Hmm. Fortunately, unfortunately, it's it's a fluid still a little bit of a Wild West kind of world out there as far as figuring out language, but also things are a little bit fraught. That's that's also really funny because I feel like I've also seen feedback kind of the opposite way, saying, like, you guys are always glorifying kitchen table polyamory, and that's not really? how everyone practices it. Yeah, yes. no, it's, it's really like whatever it's, people yeah. are kind of attuned to or, or more sensitive to, it's easy to sort of jump to these conclusions about, oh, well, because there's this label 
you're saying that this is bad or this is good, or you mentioned this mm-hmm. one thing that's related to what I define as this label, and so therefore you were making a judgment about it. It's yeah, it's just it is fraught. I think that's a good mm-hmm. a good term mm-hmm. for it. But despite this territory sometimes being fraught, I, I do think it is still really important to talk about. Now, for me, I've noticed when working with clients, and also this has happened in my own personal life, that it's really easy to get attached to particular words and particular labels. And that could be, I get super attached to the concept of kitchen table polyamory, or I get super attached to the concept of primary, or the concept of non-hierarchy, or even the concept of boundaries. And I find that, especially in relationship, whenever there's a word or a concept where there's repeated usage, and especially if it's central to some kind of repeating conflict in relationship, like we have a lot of conflict around are we hierarchical or not? We have a lot of conflict around what counts as a boundary or not. We have a lot of conflict around are we practicing parallel polyamory or not that I've noticed sometimes the actual meaning and purpose of the concept starts to get lost, starts to get misconstrued. There starts to be maybe even multiple working definitions between different people. And so in my work with clients, I'm often helping people get back to what is it they're actually longing for and needing and encouraging them to ask for that or to go after that rather than just trying to aim for a label. I I had a lot of experience with this myself in the past, you know, when I practiced more hierarchical polyamory, where I got really fixated on wanting that primary label, because I thought Hmm. as soon as I get that label, I'm going to get all the things that I need to have a secure relationship. And it turns out that wasn't true at all. You know, I I really should have been, (laughs) yes, should have been focusing on what I actually needed in the relationship and asking for that rather than really fixating on this primary title to, to make it, to sprinkle in, you know, some Buddhist aphorisms as we sometimes like to do. There's this idea of, you know, sometimes it can be easy to confuse the finger pointing at the moon for the moon itself. And I think that happens a lot when we're talking about labels for concepts or different forms of non-monogamy. Perhaps this is a question for later in the episode, but in your work, have you found that one specific type of polyamory or one specific type of relationship is more fraught than others? And you don't necessarily need to to say which, but yes Uh, or no. Like format of non-monogamy? Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, I think as we will find as we go through the episode, I've come, I've started to come to this conclusion that any relationship format where people are kind of non-consensually engaging is going to be more fraught than others. That makes sense. You know, it really does come down to kind of the ethics and the honesty and the vulnerability and things like that. And as time has gone on, I've, I've found myself getting less and less attached to the particular label or the particular format. And I'm just, I'm just like, are you being good to each other and everyone Mm. involved? is everyone feeling relatively fulfilled and safe like then good job but even though those labels you know may not be serving you specifically for other people they may be really beneficial and for someone like me who didn't even know what all of these labels were like garden party polyamory i don't know if i've ever heard that term in my life So I learned about it this time, which is great. But it is really important to understand the nuances of different forms of polyamory and what maybe are motivating them. 
and it's good for you to understand more about yourself. That's always really helpful in so many areas of our lives. What you're needing also helps to humanize other people who might be practicing a different form of non-monogamy than you are. And so you get a moon buffet. You wrote these words, Dedeker. I love them. You get a big old moon buffet if you know what other people are doing. And then maybe, you know, if one relationship is kitchen table, one relationship is garden party, you can kind of explore and understand what everyone is going through. So we're here to help you with that today. Knowing all the different motivations and reasoning behind different formats of non-monogamy gives you access to the buffet to kind of pick or choose. And because... The whole point is don't confuse the finger pointing for, at the moon for the moon itself. It's clearly a moon buffet. I couldn't make <laughs> I that see. any more obvious, Emily. Connections come back around. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know what you were getting at. I just was laughing at the fact that it said the moon buffet. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that's a really good point, though, about by going through these in this episode, part of the goal is to to, again, show that any of these can have more toxic versions or more healthy versions, and then also understanding what some of the motivations might be for it. Because it's really easy to say, oh, well, I was in a relationship once with this person who said that they wanted this type of polyamory, parallel polyamory, for example, and I felt really shitty. So therefore, I think that way of doing polyamory is bad. right? And that's just, of course, sure. It's like, yeah, that was your experience with it. It wasn't good. Maybe your partner was dishonest, or maybe their partner tried, kept trying to force everyone into one way of doing polyamory that you didn't want to do, right? That it can be easy to look at that and look at anyone who does that. It's like, oh, you must, you must be bad too. You must be doing those same things. So that's also why I think this is valuable to really humanize. And then also to realize that as non-monogamous people, we're kind of this, we're still this perpetually misunderstood group. Even if polyamory and non-monogamy is getting talked about a lot more, there's probably even more misunderstandings then going on from sort of the larger society as a whole. And so these labels are kind of a way of sort of digging a little burrow within language that we have and kind of saying like, you know, this we're going to assemble some of these twigs from language and assemble a nest for ourselves. I'm really going with all sorts of different animal metaphors here. Lots of metaphors, (laughs) Jace. (laughs) Wow. Like a little moon bunny. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can already anticipate, and even when I was researching this episode, I had these very old lady feelings coming up where I just felt, you know, back in my day, (laughs) we just called it polyamory and we were thankful for that. God bless it. We were thankful to have a word. All wow. you youngins needing all your format and labels. No, it's great. It's fantastic. I love it. Let's dive yeah, into the spectrum. I do think that a lot of these labels are like fairly newish. No? Am I am I wrong about that? They feel new. They feel fresh. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do have the impression that along with polyamory kind of growing out of the fact that people could connect online, you know, originally in in message boards and BBS systems, that a lot of these terms have been able to grow because I think the internet really encourages labeling because if you're trying to search for something, you need something to call it. And it's much harder to do a Google search or a Bing search or whatever for a relationship where I'm okay with my metamors and we all hang out together, but we don't have relationships with each other. Like that's that's going to be harder for a search algorithm to find as opposed to using some term 
is more likely to help you connect with other people. Okay, so let's dive in to the spectrum here. First, we're just going to be laying out a brief definition for each one. This is not our own definition. This is referenced from other blogs and content creators and sort of compiled together to find a definition for each. We're going to be discussing both what we think functional versions might look like as well as what dysfunctional versions of it might look like. And then we're going to talk about, if this appeals to you, what parts of it you may actually be wanting or craving if you're drawn to that particular label. So these labels are kind of a spectrum, and there's a lot of different ways that one could organize this spectrum, but we decided to go in a general order of least entwined in terms of your relationship to super entwined, the most entwined. This is a spectrum or a web or whatever you want to call it. It's not a definitive list. So all of these run on a mild to strict spectrum, even within themselves, so it can get a little convoluted, but just bear with us. You, you got this. Yeah, you got this. We good. Yeah. All so right. with that, do we're going to, yeah, we're going to dive in. So starting with kind of level, a very low level of entwinement is a don't ask, don't tell sort of arrangement. So the short definition of this might be, okay, I'm able to date and or sleep with multiple people, but I don't discuss or ask about the details. And what counts as, quote, the details could differ depending on the person or the situation. It could range from, you know, don't even tell me when you're going out with someone else, you know, just tell me that, tell me, give me some generic excuse or whatever. Or it could range to, yeah, you can tell me when you're going on a date, but I don't want to hear anything else other than that. I'm not interested in knowing names, anything about the nature of your relationship or things like that. It could be a standing agreement or practice just between two particular partners, or it could apply to multiple partners across the board as well. Now, I do think that don't ask, don't tell often gets thrown under the bus as, oh, this is something you definitely don't want to do ever. Bad idea. And I do think that some extreme versions of this have ended in heartache for a number of people. But I guess my first challenge that I would want to pose to the two of you is, do you think that there's a functional version of don't ask, don't tell? What might that look like? The first thing that came to mind was, and F. Kevin Spacey, but the the relationship in House of Cards, because there were these two people who were like very power hungry, who clearly had relationships outside of their marriage, but their marriage was very much like one of power and convenience. And so I think of like in the olden days, the really olden days before what we're even talking about here, that people, you know, would have arranged marriages and potentially people on the side, but the mm. arranged marriage was more, you know, for power. Yeah, no, that's an interesting way to look at it, because I, yeah, I could see making an argument. Now, I personally have not encountered this type of relationship, but I could see making the argument for perhaps the couple who's from a different generation where polyamory is not really an option, but they do kind of have this understanding with each other of like, yeah, we both see other people and the people we see know that we're married but we're not like not mean necessarily being other. sneaky about it we're not being mean to each other we both allow each other that freedom i could see an argument for that being made like i said i haven't personally seen this in a healthy version and i guess that's the caveat i have to give is i am not sure i've ever actually seen a healthy version of don't ask don't tell in practice when i try to imagine it in theory i could see it working maybe if it's yeah, like I acknowledge I'm going on a date with someone, you know their name, 
you know, maybe, you know, we're being safe in the sense of like, you know where I am. You know, it's not like I'm having to like lie to you in order to agree to our don't ask, don't tell. But I could see that being maybe a loose way of approaching. Like, I just don't want to know the details. I don't want to know, like, that doesn't matter to me. And, I, and I'm not comfortable with it. I still, I don't know. I'm hesitant to to find a lot of positive versions of this. Have you seen that at all, Deads? Yeah, I've seen some people where, you know, for instance, some people have a, like a quote unquote 100 mile rule where maybe one or both mm-hmm. of them travel a lot for work or maybe one of them is, you know, like, you know, a musician who goes on tour or an artist who goes on tour or whatever that sometimes it's like, okay, cool. When you go on tour, when you're traveling for work, great, have fun, go to the parties, you know, like make out with or like hook up with whoever you want. That's that's fine. That's an understanding. But we don't need to necessarily talk about it or process it uh, unless there's, you know, some kind of major issue that comes up or things like that. So, you know, I, I do th- I I do think that like for some people, this can be a great fit. However, I do think that sometimes the way people end up here is for slightly more dysfunctional reasons, mm. you know, like I think... Well, I think a lot of us have seen the experience of people who open up their relationship and go to a don't ask, don't tell because neither of them are really actually comfortable or only one of them is actually comfortable with the open relationship. And so the don't ask, don't tell agreement serves to create maybe a false sense of security or a false sense of comfort around it. You know, like maybe it enables some denial of what's actually going on. You know, I've definitely, you know, I I think that this one gets thrown under the bus so frequently because... (laughs) And so easy to find dysfunctional examples. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. And there is this question of if you are drawn to this type of polyamory or open relationship or whatever, don't ask, don't tell, what are you wanting or what are you craving? And something that might come up for you is that you want your privacy. You might want to take ownership of your own sexuality or dating choices without those choices being subjected to a partner's approval or opinions or judgment or someone wanting to veto or something along those lines. Also, you might be undergoing some more vulnerable exploration of your own sexuality or kink. Maybe that feels a little bit vulnerable or embarrassing or awkward to share with a partner, and you simply just want to go out and explore that by yourself without speaking to them about it. That's an interesting option. I could see also, in addition to thinking of it as privacy, also could be independence. That perhaps for you in the relationship, independence is a really high priority. And so this way kind of feels like, okay, I have the freedom to do my own thing, but I'm not needing to tell you about it or justify it to you or whatever. I I could see independence being an argument for it as well, I suppose. Another one could be simplicity. That you might be like, I don't want the complexity of trying to, like, I don't know, introduce you or get my metamorphs to communicate or the emotional labor that it takes to navigate that. I just want to keep it simple, where I just I have this one relationship and everyone else knows that I've got this one relationship. It, it tends to be kind of more like I live with this one person and I just don't talk about the other people I'm seeing. I could see the appeal of that, too, that maybe what you're actually just seeking is simplicity. You could also be seeking some kind of emotional or mental safety. And again, this could be on a range. You know, you could just be wanting to feel considered and maybe feel like I don't need to be, you know, 
non-consensually subjected to information or uncomfortable details about my partner's sex life or dating life that I don't want. This could also range up to you might really want to insulate yourself from the reality of non-monogamy or from kind of the more uncomfortable parts of having a partner who's dating other people. So in talking about these things, like when we're kind of laying out the possibilities of what people may be longing for underneath this, we really encourage you as you're listening to think about that, you know, try that on, like think about, oh, is privacy the thing that I've been yearning for? And Mm. think about that, like, is there a way in my current life right now that I could be going after finding that privacy that doesn't necessarily entail a full don't ask, don't tell, because maybe there's other parts of that arrangement that don't really work for me in my life. Yeah, I I like that idea. Same with simplicity or security. Maybe there's other ways you can find those. Again, we're, you know, we're defining these labels, but then we're saying, but really the whole point is just to identify what you really want so that you can custom tailor your relationship for yourself rather than just thinking, oh, well, this is the closest label, so I've got to do everything that's included in this label. All right, let's move on to parallel polyamory, which is apparently the thing that we love on this show. I don't know. <laughs> that one person, person yeah. said. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, so what's parallel polyamory? The short definition is that it is multiple relationships that run in parallel but do not entwine or overlap. So someone might be dating multiple people, but they don't connect or create any kind of relationship with their metamor, and maybe they even totally avoid any contact whatsoever with metamors. So again, that level of entwinement between the other members of, I guess, your circle, that's kind of a low level of entwinement again. I think this one's interesting, too, because when we talk about parallel polyamory or when people talk about it, there really is a range of how how connected the metamors are. And I guess all of these labels sort of when you get onto a far end of entwinement starts to maybe bleed into another label. But I think sometimes people can be like, "Mm, but I don't want that other label because I associate other things with it. So again, we come back to all this like baggage that gets attached to these. I'm trying to think though, maybe Dedeker, I'd be curious to hear from you, like what a functional version of this looks like. Yeah. So I did dive into the internet because I don't know if I personally have a ton of experience with parallel polyamory, at least not like functional parallel polyamory, if I'm being totally honest. But people have some really interesting stories where, for instance, they talk about, you know, one person shared a story of they have a partner who is a single mom and an artist and just like really, really taken up with a lot of other things in her life. And so for her, it was very like for this particular partner, it was like, yeah, like, of course, I'm okay for you to date people and you can talk about the people that you're dating with. But I just don't have a ton of energy in my life to try to forge an independent relationship with a metamor or things like that. And I kind of feel a little bit better if I can keep things just a little bit separate. And, you know, maybe it's okay. It's okay. You know, for ships passing in the night, we kind of, you know, run into each other maybe occasionally. It doesn't have to be hermetically sealed, but I'm okay with these relationships just kind of running in parallel to each other. That was one person's experience. And again, this is going to run on an, in, in a range, you know, from kind of slightly, slightly less entwined to slightly, slightly even more less entwined, depending on what people are comfortable with. In defining this one for the episode, something that was interesting to me is that the label we'll talk about next about garden party polyamory. To me, I grouped that and what we're talking about now all into parallel polyamory. Hmm. So that's also, as I was saying, it's kind of interesting where they'll kind of 
uh, dovetail overlap into each other. Yeah, they'll overlap a little bit on the edges. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do think that there can be functional parallel polyamory. Again, it's the same thing of if we're choosing parallel polyamory because the very idea that I have a metamorph is just too uncomfortable to me. And so I, yeah. yeah. And so, like, that's maybe a little bit weird. But if it is just, I don't necessarily have a super intense interest in becoming best friends with my metamorph or things like that, even though I'm okay for them to be around, that I think that could be a little bit different. Yeah, I could see also, like the example you gave, Dedeker, is a really good one of just sort of, I've got a lot going on, I've got a kid maybe, so I just don't want my life to get a lot intertwined with a lot of other people. So let's just kind of keep that separate. We can acknowledge each other, we're not hiding it, but, you know, keeping it a little bit separate makes sense. And Jace, you know, you make the comparison pretty frequently about the metamorph relationship being similar to an in-law relationship mm-hmm. and yeah so i do think about you know think about when you date someone or start a relationship with someone and you don't want to get super entwined with this person and so maybe you're just like i don't need to meet your parents <laughs> you <laughs> right? know that's like I, that's not really the relationship that we're building maybe i'll be open to it someday or maybe if i accidentally cross paths with your parents like that's fine but maybe for me it's not priority number one that I get entwined to the level of meeting your parents. And I think for some people, it could be like that. Like, yeah, I'm okay for you to have other partners, but I don't feel super motivated to have to meet them or forge relationship with them or be in contact with them. What is a dysfunctional version of this? People are refusing to see an additional metamor or I don't want to hear anything about them. I know they exist, but please do not talk to me about them if you're having a problem with them. So the dysfunctional versions of this that I've seen the most is like that whole like don't even talk to me about them to me falls more into like the don't ask don't tell side of things Mm -hmm. but within the parallel polyamory the version I've seen of this is that it's like I know you're dating someone else and that's fine like you tell me you're going on dates with them maybe we'll even check in about where are you in that relationship? Are you saying, I love Mm -hmm. you now? Are you having sex now? Like whatever, that kind of conversation. But it's that, this extreme of, I don't ever want to see something of his in the house. Like you need to sort of scrub all traces of this person from anything that intersects with my life. Or if you have a date with them and then I'm going to see you later, you have to put buffer time in there so there's no chance that I bump into them on the way. I've I've seen this come up. That kind of like Got it. I acknowledge it and totally say I'm fine with it, but like I can't even at all have them in my vicinity, which in the case that I'm thinking of was much more rooted in this just one person just really wasn't okay with polyamory. With polyamory. Yeah. Or I think also in this case had some trust issues with that partner too that were kind of being masked by just trying to hide it and stay away from these things rather than actually addressing that issue. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so if you're drawn to this, what are some of the things that you might be craving that that you want to get out of this? And the first one, I think, like we talked about in the Don't Ask, Don't Tell, is just that autonomy, having independence, the ability to choose who you create a relationship with and who you don't. And I think also extending to those metamors and those friends, being like, you know, I want to choose if I'm going to end up friends with someone. I don't want to kind of be forced into a friendship just because you start dating someone. It's that, you know what? I'm fine. I just want to do my own thing. That's fine, right? I don't I don't need to be involved with everyone that you're involved with in any way. 
Yeah, you may also be craving just less emotional labor. You may want to preserve the energy that would otherwise be spent on facilitating a metamor relationship for yourself, you know, for your life or for the energy that you're putting into the relationship with your partner or with your partners. So it may just be a matter of, you know, really choosing and prioritizing who you want to spend your emotional labor on. And finally, you might just want healthy boundaries in your life. So you might want to just have the ability to say no or decline interaction with someone that you don't get along with or that you just have no interest in getting to know better. And there also is this option to keep certain relationships separate from your work life or your family life, especially if maybe you're not out with every single person in your life and you simply are like, okay, that's going to be something else entirely that has nothing to do with me over there and then I, I don't have to incorporate it in my life in any way. I found an interesting take on this when I was reading up on what other content creators are saying about parallel polyamory. And someone made the observation, at least in their opinion, that all polyamory starts out as parallel in default. Like essentially, we're starting from a baseline of like, you are not obligated to be connected to anyone in particular. You're not obligated to reach out to your metamor. You're not obligated to have to be in some kind of connection with your metamor. It's like everyone has that choice. Doesn't mean that that's the way that it needs to stay. Doesn't mean that that's the healthiest version. Doesn't mean that that's what everybody wants. But it's like we kind of start from this framework of no one necessarily having any kind of obligations of who they connect to, which which I thought is actually a really interesting way of looking at it. And I think it's also really helpful because, of course, as we keep moving along the spectrum of entwinement into more and more entwined forms of polyamory, you know, some people have felt that pressure of, if I don't want to be best friends with my metamor, that means I'm doing polyamory wrong. Or mm-hmm. if I don't want to connect to my metamor, that must mean I'm secretly not okay with polyamory when maybe that's not actually the case. And so I do think that there is something really important of reminding ourselves that we start from a basis of everyone is able to have the boundaries and say no to connecting to a metamor or a teramor or whoever it is. So we're going to keep on going along the spectrum of entwinement. We're going to talk about things like garden party polyamory, kitchen table polyamory, lap-sitting polyamory at the other end of the spectrum. But before we do that, we're going to take a minute to talk about the best ways that you can support this show so that we can keep this information out there for free. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy, or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. 
That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. All right. The next one we're going to talk about is Garden Party Polyamory. So this one... Sounds fun. And it does sound fun. Also, gosh, quick tangent. Dedeker and I have been reading Emily Post's Etiquette for fun, like the 1923 version of it or something like that. It's had many editions. But in it, she goes on a rant about how what everyone calls a garden party is not a garden party. Because a garden party... What is a garden party? A garden party is like the most formal occasion you could possibly have. It's like the level of formal of like a wedding. And that what people call a garden party now is really just a party in the garden. So she wants to make a clear distinction for society people between a party in the garden, which is casual, and a garden party, which is super formal. Emily Post, the queen of garden party (laughs) gatekeeping. Wow, yeah. Speaking of labels and gatekeeping, yeah. (laughs) Did she create the polyamory garden party gatekeeping (laughs) society as well? Yeah. Wow. Okay, so this is the most formal of... No, just kidding. (laughs) So garden party polyamory, short definition is this. It's, I'm comfortable to be acquaintances with my metas. I'm willing to be friendly at group events or hangouts. We can all go to the same parties. We'll all attend your birthday. But we don't have the need to form deep relationships with our metamors and that we have sort of independent relationships outside of that partner we have in common. Also sometimes called birthday party polyamory, which makes sense. You just see them at your birthday. Yeah, which makes sense because often partners' birthdays is kind of the one time each year when I've often, with my metamors, kind of been like, this is the time we unite <laughs> for the birthday. <laughs> so that makes sense. This one to me was a newer term because, like I said, for me, parallel polyamory included also this, but I do kind of like that there's this term in between to clarify. It's not that we're needing to stay totally separate. Like we can still all hang out and be cool, but we're not like hanging out a ton independently of the partner that we're dating. Yeah, it was funny when I was looking into the, you know, the 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 online polyamory content sphere as it were that there was one person there was one person who was like, I really don't like this label because to call it garden party polyamory implies like a class structure that I think is just like really not accessible to some people. And I'm just They'd like, oh my God, missing the point. Post. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could go to a park and have a garden party or whatever, like <laughs> a party a in the garden. Park. Well, what if we okay, called for, it but party in the party... garden polyamory? Would that be okay. better? Some PGP. <laughs> party in the garden <laughs> polyamory yeah oh no that would be p-i-g so some pig polyamory oh, okay i like that pig <laughs> that's polyamory. cool that's love good. it oh my goodness well let's talk about what what's a functional version of this what does that look like like chill with everyone going <laughs> to parties seeing people and then you know it just not having any issue with your metamors but being kind to them and lovely to them when you see them yeah i think you could even have you know, like, well, I like this metamor better than this other one. So at the party, I'm going to talk to this one more than the other or something. But it's sure. still like we're able to be cordial. We're able to be fine in a social situation. One of us isn't like suffering the whole time. I guess yeah. to me, that's sort of what what defines it is that we're able to hang out without without a lot of suffering. 
Yeah, I like that. I like the emphasis on that, of just how much suffering is right. involved. I mean, because that leads to the next question of what does a dysfunctional version of this look like? And So much suffering. Lots of suffering. <laughs> yeah. Because I think, I think I could see both. I could see both. Maybe everyone involved would really prefer things to be more parallel, but we're putting on a brave face for my partner's birthday because they really want this, even though everyone's miserable. Mm. And it's not the like happy family feeling that maybe they want, you know, so I could see that if if anyone's in a position where it's like, I'm obligated and I can't say no to going to the garden party or going to the birthday party, like I can't say no to it, then I think, you know, people are going to feel a little unhappy. It's probably going to be a little dysfunctional, you know? Yeah. I'd say also a way this can happen. And I've made this mistake in the past too, of just assuming that everyone's okay with garden party style polyamory. So it's like, oh, I've invited you to a thing and I'll also invite another partner to that thing and that's no big deal. But if not everyone's okay with that or not everyone is openly communicating the fact that they would not prefer that, I could see that becoming a big problem if that ends up kind of being the only way of socializing is kind of this, oh, I can only see you when it's at this gathering with all these other people. And I'm kind of now I'm not even getting time with my partner when that's what I want. Mm-hmm. I guess that mismatch yeah. if if someone's just doesn't want it and that feels like that's their only option, like you said. Before I even dated you, Jay, so this was a long time ago. And before like I even knew what polyamory was, I was dating like five people at once and I was at a party with one of them and then the other one texted me that they were coming and I was like, you gotta leave the first guy. (laughs) I told him, I'm sorry, like you need to go. What did you did you say why? I I did. I it was me and I was like, well, this other guy that I'm dating is coming and like I feel bad if like both of you are here. So we've had some time together. Can you please I, go? I want I will I was honestly like though. 22. This I want to give you major I want to give you major props for being honest about it though. Cuz I I think that normal traditional dating rules, it's like, yeah, you want to avoid that situation, but I don't think a lot of people would have the guts to be straight up honest about this is what's going on you know i think a lot of people would try to pull a fast one or something really yeah. sketchy or they would bail on the party themselves or something to avoid the awkwardness right well you no know, i i definitely was was being honest i was being honest to a fault like i know the person that i kicked out i remember who that person was but i can't for the life of me remember the person who was coming <laughs> whoops so yeah anyways oh, no but uh don't do that is what i'm saying like at your birthday party 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 garden party whatever it is don't do that that's dysfunctional at your pig party yeah so if you're finding yourself drawn to garden party birthday party pig party polyamory what might you be wanting or craving i I think first thing that comes to list for me is you know maybe you are craving just a sense of community like maybe you do really enjoy having that support network of friends and partners that can show up for you in big or small ways, or maybe even just just show up for you on your birthday. And that's enough. Like, that's a good feeling to be surrounded by your friends, your family, all your partners, things like that. Yeah, I think also there is a certain ease to it. If you do have a comfortable pig polyamory setup, a party in the garden <laughs> setup, there's an ease to it where it's, especially if you have overlapping groups of friends, Kind of like in Emily's example, where if I'm dating two different people, or maybe I'm dating someone who's also dating another person in our friend group, that this is just easier. It's like, cool, then we can all go to the same event still. There doesn't have to be this, oh, are you going with them or with me? It's just, okay, yeah, 
we can all go to that thing and that's okay. You might also be looking for acceptance. So it's cool when you get to see friends and you get to see other partners acknowledge each other and get along. And that can offer validation to this type of polyamory that you're choosing to do or just validation for yourself in general. And some of us have a hard time like finding that validation in our lives. So it's really nice in this way. I know, Dedeker, you talk about this a lot, but we've had a similar situation where you've had friends and partners and all of these people, a real sense of community at a party and how validating that made you feel. And I agree. It's super cool to see like these people from different parts of your life come together. Yeah. The thing is, I hate parties. And so really? the- I love them. I, I tend to hate parties. After this whole pandemic is over, we'll see. I, I may be coming around on parties. But the parties, though, in my life that, that stand out to me the most that I have just like absolutely loved have been those ones where I have multiple partners there. My partners have their partners there. Maybe I even ex-partners there with their new partners, but it's cool. Everyone's chill and it's great that having that really intense felt sense of chosen family where not everybody has to have an independent relationship you know, or has to get along 100% of the time outside of the way they're connected to me. But just being able to show up in that way and have that really felt sense of support network is is really, really nice. You know, the way I think about it is some people absolutely love it when they can blend their circles of friends together and they Mm. love seeing their friends make connections. I I hear a lot of people talk about this at their weddings, you know, where Mm. their weddings is the place, the event where all their circles of friends and families come together. And some people express just loving seeing, oh my God, my old uncle Boris is talking to my friend from sixth grade and they're having a great time. That's so cool. Other people, that's extremely stressful and upsetting. You know, some people find that just like really, really unsettling. So I think it's kind of the same thing here that it can kind of depend on how that lands for you. So speaking of that, let's keep on moving along this entwinement train up the spectrum into choo-choo, higher levels of entwinement. And then we get to kitchen table polyamory, which... Here it is, folks. Yeah, seems to be the just the golden child of the polyamory (laughs) world. So short definition, the term was initially based around this idea that all partners and metamors are willing and comfortable enough to sit around the kitchen table to have coffee or a meal together. I think this also usually tends to imply, again, as you kind of get into higher levels of entwinement, metamors maybe intentionally forging independent friendships. Maybe this is metamors who are quite happy to go you know, have a beer together without their partner there or happy to play video games together without their partner there or something like that, that there's kind of more levels of entwinement between metamors themselves. Yeah, and I think that part of this too that tends to come up with kitchen table, again, on the spectrum, is that this could be like we're at the kitchen table having coffee because we've all slept in the same building, right? As in Mm. like we're so comfortable that all of us can have a sleepover. Not necessarily that we're all having sex together, but just that we're like that level of of comfortableness that maybe I'm sleeping in one room and you two are sleeping in another room, that that's kind of on the more entangled side. Or it could just be like Dedeker was saying that, yeah, we're all cool with hanging out and maybe forge more independent relationships with our metamors. Yeah, I, I often think of where we were in Boise, Idaho, and we met someone who was buying a big house, mm. and everyone was coming into that house and going to live together, like eight people and kids. And that's kind of what I think of when I think of kitchen table polyamory, although maybe not all of them are even that entwined. 
Yeah, again, even within kitchen table polyamory is its own little mini spectrum of how entwined you get together or or not. So we could also talk about dysfunctional versions of this, where I I think I'm going to sound like a little bit of a broken record, but definitely the dysfunctional versions I've seen is when someone doesn't want this and they're being forced into it. (laughs) You know, I don't want to sit at the kitchen table and have coffee. Maybe, Maybe I like the garden party. Garden party's great. I don't want the coffee, but I'm being forced into the coffee. Mm. Something like that, you know? And this is a thing where I've seen in recent years, I think, again, as non-monogamy and polyamory are talked about more often in the mainstream, and we're starting to see more models, more visible models trickling into the mainstream, that sometimes I see a lot of newbies show up and want this right away. Like, it's instantly... Mm this is what we're aiming for, you know, so I'm going to date this person, go on three dates with this person, and then immediately they need to be able to have coffee with me and, like, my wife that I live with or whatever, and it's, and Waiting it's great. Waiting three dates sounds like a lot compared to some of the examples <laughs> I've heard. It's like, first date, really? you're, you're yeah. expected Whoa. to come over and hang out and spend the night and, uh, yeah, like, all, all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> some people Some people love that, and it's great, and they're all about it, but other people, not so great, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the recurring theme with all the dysfunctional versions seems to be someone's not on board. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. really, really seems to be Yeah, that's going to suck a lot for that person. That's going to be a hard time. I've also seen some people, you know, feeling my metamors have to forge an independent relationship. Like, they they have to. Mm -hmm. They have to figure that out outside of me. Otherwise... I feel less secure or I feel like they're not accepting or I feel like they're, they're, they're not going to get along or whatever. And so, again, human beings don't do well when they're told you need to be in a relationship with someone that you didn't choose. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I think the other dysfunctional version of this is not even my partner's really pushing for this type of relationship and I don't want to do it. But I think people push themselves toward this, being like, well, if I'm going to be mm. a good polyamorous person, TM, TM, TM. I have to seek out this friendship, even if it's like, I'm so busy, I've got my other relationships, I have my other friends, but it's like, gosh, okay, I've got to put in this effort. And I would say another side of that too is when it's like, not only do I have to put in this effort, but also we're doing it so that our mutual partner doesn't actually have to do the emotional labor of like scheduling with us. Like we're going to do all that for him or, you know, or we're going to do all of the managing between us for him because he's either not willing or doesn't want to do it or something. I could see that also that definitely edges on the dysfunctional side of things when it's like, well, I have to do this because someone has to do it and it's not getting done by my partner. Uh, Now that you mention it, Let's just keep on the soapbox, shall we? (laughs) I've definitely seen situations where, you know, let's let's say it's a hinge situation where metamors, maybe the two partners actually have an issue with their hinge partner and how their hinge partner is kind of talking to the other person about the other partner, stuff like that. And I've definitely seen situations where the hinge partner is like, okay, metamors, it's your job to work on this. I have zero responsibility whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And that's a little yeah. bit tricksy because on the one hand, it's like, okay, if metamors directly have an issue with the other person, sure, they should they should probably communicate that with each other. But I've also seen it go to this extreme where the hinge partner is like, I have nothing to do with this. It's all you. 
you know, I have no influence or say on this whatsoever. And so y'all, if they're, if I'm having relationship drama, y'all have to work it out and I yeah. need to be involved. But then on the other side, there's that thing of, we've talked about many times on this show, when the hinge is facilitating all communication, that's also not good because then you yes. get this sort of triangulated thing. So it's, yeah, it's all, it's all a balance and finding a way that feels good and feels healthy. Absolutely. And so if you are drawn to this, what might you be wanting or craving? And a big one is this sense of family, this community that's super close in proximity uh, may involve more mutual care and cooperation regarding travel or even things like finances and living arrangements and big life decisions, stuff like that. Like the community is kind of first in a way, or it's at least close second to the individual relationships operating within that community. Yeah, I'd say another one could be security and stability. Uh, again, that can come from a sense of community. So to go back to that example of a lot of different couples and triads and groupings all getting a house together when not everyone's dating each other, but maybe there's lots of intertwining between that. And it's kind of this, well, we've got some more financial security by all of us pooling resources or childcare resources, things like that, which also leads into another one, which is just collaboration of sharing the load of emotional labor, financial labor, planning labor. And again, it comes into that balance of if you're having a really hard time scheduling between two partners, the ability to all sit down together and do the scheduling, yeah, that's great. It allows everyone to kind of get more immediate feedback and more direct involvement in that process if everyone's on board with it. Versus kind of the maybe less functional version being like, you two deal with it, I'm out, right? So it's kind of a balance there of like, we're collaborating yeah. rather than just you do it so I don't have to. All right. It is time for the final one that we're talking about today, which is <laughs> lapsing polyamory. This is something I have never heard of before. How have you not? No, lapsing? Goodness. That I don't know. It's just an interesting, <laughs> it's a really funny visual that like well, yeah. we're so entwined that we're like literally on each other all the time. Yeah, we're not just at the kitchen table, we're sitting in each other's laps. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so the definition of this is that the polycule is highly entangled. Metamors may forge very close relationships or become even romantic or sexual partners. Multiple partners may choose to cohabit, closely co-parent, share finances or property, and they may prioritize making decisions with group cohesion or happiness in mind. And then this level of entwinement is clearly very, very high. Yeah. So yeah, wow. This can work. Well, oh yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that but this again, is... everyone's going to be super into it. Like you, you really <laughs> right. have to be into it with this one. Yeah, I think this is another one like with parallel and uh, party in the garden polyamory that these two also dovetail into each other. Where what some people call kitchen table polyamory, another person might say that's more like lap sitting polyamory, where you're all very, very up in each other's business and intertwined with each other. So just just to kind of be aware of that 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 there's sort of a spectrum for both, and I think these two also kind of overlap. I gotta say, like the three of us and he who should not be named kind of forged this initially with our, you know, quad thing that we had happening. To yeah, a I, th I think we, we climbed really quickly up the ladder of entwinement and we're, you know, yeah. really wanting to entwine even more. 
Yeah, and then yeah. had a spectacular falling out. So yeah, um, but now we have a podcast, so that's our level. Not of with us. We weren't. Yeah, I mean, there you go. That's podcast what happens polyamorous. if you do this. You become podcast. You become podcasters. <laughs> you become podcasters, and that's not a fate that anyone wants. So be careful with this one. No, I heard recently that that business partners break up even more than romantic partnerships which is really interesting so i'd say we're doing very well if we've as a podcast partner has been together for seven years good, good job us well done yep. yeah multi-businessery that's our next podcast heck yes yeah okay so so let's talk about what what do the highest functioning versions of this look like i've seen a lot of people who do the the co-parenting between multiple partners thing mm-hmm. you know who who choose to maybe live in the same house together to co-parent or or not, maybe live in different places, but still choose to raise children together in certain ways. You know, definitely heard, seen examples of a lot of people who kind of go all in together to buy a property to, mm-hmm. to create the little commune or the little compound of where everybody gets to live. And of course, you know, there are like organic, healthy triads that form. You know, I think that we're so used to thinking about the stereotypically unhealthy unicorn hunting triad but there are organic healthy triads and quads out there that do form where people do enjoy this level of entwinement of romantic and sexual entwinement where everybody's kind of involved with each other so yeah i think there's definitely functional versions of this out there yeah and i think that the the best functioning ones tend to be those ones that grow organically so the mm-hmm. example would be you know say say dedeker was dating someone else and over time, meeting him maybe in more of a pig polyamory situation, uh, that he and I really connect of like, oh, this is this is cool. We really get along. Hey, do you want to play video games sometime? Or or do you want to come bowling with me and my friends? Or, you know, like whatever it is that we start then socializing and it kind of forms itself versus that one of like, well, you're dating me, so now you've got to live in the commune mm-hmm. can, can be, maybe could work, but it's just that's a lot to ask. That's a lot more challenging. So I think that's kind of a, a, a key part of it is that everyone has to have that feeling of opting in and like they made the choice to have these relationships. But it can be really cool. Like times when I've had partners who get along well with each other and that I'm, even if I'm not sitting on my metamor's lap, that he and I could like sit down and play a game together while our mutual partners off talking to someone else like that's a really cool feeling i've I've really enjoyed that when i've had it so yeah yeah, it it is a really cool situation again if it's if you've gotten into it organically and everyone's feeling good about it i do have to say that i think that a lot of people's perception of polyamory is oh well do i have to meet everyone before dating you because i have to be like accepted into the fold right Right. You know. <laughs> well, this is this is a form of polyamory that gets a lot of I think unjustified airtime in the media hmm. because it's right. not sensational. Either it's the the triads, triads being overrepresented in the media in in news media, or it's like we talked about earlier, people who decide to co-parent together with multiple partners getting sometimes a little overrepresented in the media just because people are like, oh my God, sensational. Wow. Amazing. Look at what these people are doing. And so that does feed into people's perception of polyamory being just this, that we're all on a track to live together in the same house, or we're all on a track to raise a child together. We're all on a track to create the commune together in some way, which, which is 
it's just not true, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, to talk about dysfunctional versions of this, of course, if there's any obligation, if there's this sense of, well, if you're going to be dating me, I'm going to expect that you're okay to have sex with me and your metamor or me and this other partner, things like this. Or if you turn down sex or you turn down, you know, living in the house, you're going to be treated very differently or treated like an outsider or maybe even punished in some way. And that's not good for anybody. I've definitely heard a lot of horror stories where people you know, feel this sense of the group being the priority. And therefore, if I don't go along with what the group wants, then I'm ostracized I'm for that. Or I'm yeah. effed, in, not uh-huh. in a good way. And that's not functional. That's not fun or functional mm-hmm. for anybody. Yeah. So if you're drawn to this, what might you be wanting or craving? And I want to make a callback to our episode 306 with Eli Chef, where they were talking about the the bonding project. And they talked about the many-to-many bonding style. And if I recall correctly, statistically, this was more rare. But some people do fantasize about having this tight-knit, intentional community, commune, paradise, where we make decisions in community, you know, as a community of kind of interlinked partners and metamors and things like that, that there are people who do feel a little bit more like group oriented, perhaps in their decision making rather than individual oriented. And I think as Americans, we get really nervous about that, about prioritizing the group over the individual, Mm. but it works for a lot of other people. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say also another need you could get from this would just be inclusion this idea that no one has to get left out at any time. It's just like, yeah, anyone can come around and hang out and be intimate or be romantic or whatever at any time. There's just that sense of like, yeah, we, we can all be included. We're not, we're not having to say, no, actually, you need to spend some time alone while we're together. It, it could also be much more specifically, I want to be included. I'm craving mm-hmm. inclusion yeah. as well. I don't want to be left out. Yep. And finally, that sensational one, those group sexy times, yeah. It could just be like a fantasy fulfillment, but with people that you feel really close and safe with, rather than just a group of strangers or going to a dungeon or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of reasons. Something that, that came up for me as we were going through this list of the different labels is just how... I could see there being a temptation to say, we're doing parallel polyamory, and that's the one I feel most comfortable with. But then my partner does want to have us all come to his birthday party. Well, we can't do that because we're parallel polyamory. Or like, that's that's a hard Mm. no because we're parallel polyamory. And I think that with all these, when I think about my actual real-life experiences over the years having different types of relationships, is one— even if maybe most of the time it's like a party in the garden polyamory, but every now and then we might all hang out, like go someplace for a weekend all together. We might occasionally drift into more of a kitchen table or lap sitting style polyamory, or at other times maybe drift into like, I've just got to focus on work or whatever else right now. So I'm going to kind of be a little more separate that you can drift in and out. And then the other part is that from one partner to another. This could be different. You could have lapsitting polyamory with a couple of your partners and another of their partners, but then someone else you're dating might be more of the party in the garden, where they might come to social events, but they're not always up in that all the time. That leads exactly into what we're talking about in the practical applications. 
Yeah, exactly what you were saying, Jace, is that one should be open to hybrids and creativity. So take some time to think about what it is that you're actually looking for, what you're excited about, and what creative ways can you kind of instill that need or that longing, and how can those be met by the type of polyamory that you're doing. So maybe, you know, your needs are being met in one relationship. Can you forego a certain type of for a different relationship, stuff like that. Can you and your partners collaborate on a middle ground or kind of a temporary experiment just to meet everyone's needs in that moment, see how it works? Be a scientist. Get curious about the type of polyamory that you're doing. Experiment. You know, try things on yourself. So we want you to explore. Yeah, to, to give some, maybe some more concrete examples of this, that maybe as you're listening, you're realizing like, oh gosh, yeah, the inclusion of lap-sitting polyamory sounds really nice, but I also really want privacy. Like I, you know, I, I don't like the idea of having to just like constantly expose my dating choices or run them by another person or multiple people or things like that. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're going to have to pick, oh, I got to pick a don't ask, don't tell, or I got to pick you know, the other extreme of lap-sitting polyamory, like, go wild and, like, create your own custom-fit version of a relationship for yourself with multiple people. Like, that's kind of the whole point of this, of of going to the moon buffet, is figuring out, like, what is it that you actually want? Because then that is really going to open up a wide variety of options to you where you don't need to be limited by a particular label or by a particular format. And again... Don't assume that what you want is what everyone else wants by default. This can happen pretty frequently, like Emily said at the top of the episode, that sometimes, especially if you're new to this and you find something that really excites you and and feels like it really works for you, it can be tempting to think, oh, this is the best way. This is how everybody should be practicing non-monogamy. And that's not necessarily true. You know, just take the time to communicate and check in with your QL you know, with not only the people that you're dating, but also the people that they're dating to get a sense of like what people are actually comfortable with and what's going to be best for them. And of course, regardless of where you land, we do encourage you to talk about logistics with your partners or with your metamors. Like, okay, so if we've kind of agreed that keeping things fairly parallel feeling is something that we like, how do we handle emergencies in this particular format? What happens if things do end up drifting a little bit in the more entwined direction or in the less entwined direction than we expected. Is that okay with everybody? Or do we need to be a little bit more careful with that? I can definitely relate to Jason's experience of sometimes there is a little bit of this kind of drift around where maybe you go through periods of not having a ton of metamorph contact and then shift into a period where because of the timing or because of the location, you end up hanging out a whole bunch. And then maybe you go back to not like, and just having a sense of, is that okay? You know, are we going to get freaked out if it feels like we're changing lanes or is it okay for us to be a little bit flexible with this? Yeah. And then when it comes to that communication, we like to say, don't be a jerk, but also don't be a doormat, Mm -hmm. right? Communicate as honestly and assertively as you can, but also some compromise is really important, and being understanding of what other people want is really important. And this is just, it's always a balance. And I think part of that is also being aware that other people are probably somewhere else on that spectrum from assertiveness to compromising, and that if they naturally are a lot more compromising and you're naturally a lot more assertive, you need to be extra careful there and make sure that you're kind of 
putting extra emphasis on anything they do say about their opinions and being a little bit careful not to accidentally bully them into something that they don't want because they're inclined to be more accommodating. So there's just, there's a lot of dynamics here, especially the more people are involved in the communication. So just really put in that work to try to make sure everyone feels able to speak up and that you're also able to to speak your mind about what it is that you want and be part of that customizing. So we're going to be sticking around for the bonus episode. We're going to be talking a little bit more about pushing out to the even, even further extremes of the spectrum. So if we go even less entwined from don't ask, don't tell, what does that look like? If we go even more entwined from lap-sitting polyamory, what does that look like? What might people be craving underneath that? I'm really excited for that discussion. Our question for this week is, what label do you use to describe your preferred flavor of polyamory? We're always curious to see the different ways that people are using language, the different ways that people are defining the way that they practice non-monogamy. So you can find that question and answer it by checking out our Instagram stories for this week. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and you can join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenowerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.